0: So, well, welcome again to Redemption. Now, one of the things that's a little bit interesting when uh, you're doing an outdoor venue and you're doing something in the park, it's raising the question of, man, what do you preach on? What do you talk about? It's a little bit different. Do you change up what you've been doing to kind of fit the location? And I decided, no, we're going to roll old school, man. So we are staying in our series entitled Doctrine. Now, if you're with us for the first time today, you're coming into the middle of something that we have been discussing as a church, which is really what do Christians believe. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a great thing for you to be a part of, hearing about what we actually believe, what we hold dear, what matters to us. And so in this particular series over the last several weeks, we've looked at a lot of very important things that pertain to God. We've looked at the reality that God is, and we say, uh, when we mean by what God is, what we mean by that really is that God is a trinity, and He has just always been Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and making an investment into themselves perfectly and eternally. From God is, we noted that God spoke, and He spoke into the world, the creation And we can look at this creation and it testifies to God and His greatness and His love and His creativity. And God has spoken to us in the Bible and so God speaks. From there we noted that God creates everything that we see around us. And there God loves and He loved us so much He made us in His image and His likeness. But then we chose rebellion. We call that sin in the Bible, right? That we chose sin. And so with that, God judges. But then after judgment, we realize that God still desires us and wants us. And so from there, we saw that God pursues through covenant. He desires to bring us back to himself. And this was so potent in God that what God then decided to do was to come. And that was last week, that God comes incarnate. God comes packed in meat, and that was Jesus. But then Jesus comes into the world. Jesus steps into the human plane of existence to do something unbelievable, something that none of us would really do. He comes to die. He comes for the cross. And that's where we find ourselves today, the cross. Now, I'm sure some of you right now are saying, really, of all of the topics to do in the park, penal substitutionary atonement. You're like, I don't even know what those three things are, man. I don't even know. Now, this is a wonderful topic, and let me tell you why. I I, I think, you know, just God in his good kindness toward us knew exactly this was to be the thing we talked about today for a few reasons. I think one is this, because for us as Christians, If there's anything we want to make much of, if there's anything we want to boast about, if there's anything we want to celebrate, it's the cross. This is really important to us. If we come into our city and we're here in a city park and they said, just what's one thing you would want us to know? We would say, we want you to know about the cross. It's just that important. It's that central. And so I think it's a perfect day for that. I think especially because when we think about the cross in our culture, there's a whole lot of different ideas that revolve around that. I mean, you you look just at pop culture, right? I mean, the cross is all over the place in pop culture. You see a rap artist wearing a cross, you see just some pop singer wearing a cross, and, and we're never quite even sure why they're wearing that. Is it for a religious purpose? Is it just hip? Is it just cool? Why is the cross there? I was watching a show this week on Scientology. They have a cross. I'm like, why do they have a cross? Scientologists don't believe in Jesus. They believe in aliens. They should have a little alien dude, but they have a cross. So I'm not sure what the cross symbolizes to them. But for us as Christians, the cross is central. It is so much more. It is so much richer. It is so much more deep for us. That we stop today to contemplate the greatness, the beauty, the glory, the severity, the meaning of the cross and why God comes to die. Now, to probably kind of put this in context, we have to understand, first of all, what a cross really was, right? I mean, we see the image, we see it all the time. We're like, oh, sure, it's just timber, and man, it's so iconic. But boy, there is so much more to the cross. It was first established by the Persians and then perfected by the Romans as this instrument that was punitive. It was designed to punish the wrongdoer. And so they took this, and they used it repeatedly. In fact, not only did it punish the wrongdoer, but it sent the message to everybody else. Hey man, you do not want to do what they did because if you do, your fate is the same. A cruel, barbaric, cold, just crippling execution. In fact, of all of the ways that humans have learned to execute, this is the one that combines probably most brilliantly suffering and eventual death. It is just a brutal form of execution. I'd say we could get all buried in that and we could go R-rated and talk about all of the gratuitous nature of the cross. That's really not my heart because another thing about the cross that sometimes is overlooked, especially when we're thinking about Jesus, we forget that Jesus was one of literally millions of people who was crucified over the course of human history. I mean, one of millions. You know, the Persians, the Romans, others, they crucified all sorts of people. They crucified men, women, children. They crucified them upside down, right side up, facing against the cross, out from the cross. They did it for political reasons, for just judicial reasons, whatever it was. I mean, millions of people suffered exactly the same fate as Jesus on a cross. It was common. That's why in some ways we look at the cross and we go, man, we could get into all of that brutality. We could show clips of the passion of the Christ, but that's not the real depth of the cross. That's a part of it, but it's not the depth of the cross because Jesus's cross was fundamentally different for this reason. The cross of Christ was not about one man's offense being justly punished but about many people's offenses being justly punished in one man who was himself without offense. See, that's the difference. That's the fundamental key. He did something that nobody else has ever done in the context of this. And it is that that we as Christians, again, we hold this dear. But to even understand that, we have to put that in context. And this is where the conversation gets a little bit tricky and maybe even a little bit awkward because what we have to understand, to understand the cross, to understand why Christ's cross is different than other crosses, is we have to wrestle with the simple fact that we, as a race, are not that terrific We're not that terrific. And maybe for some of you sitting there, you're already going to be bothered by that. Like, so are you saying we're sinful as a race? Yeah, we're sinful as a race. That's our struggle. That's our plight. That is our propensity. That's our bent. And see, we don't like that because what we do as people is we want to put everything on a scale. And the scale is there are bad people and then there are good people. And we look at all of life through that scale of bad people and good people. And so we start looking and we go, Well Hitler, bad people. Charlie Sheen, bad people. castor Jersey Shores, bad people. Except for Snooky, she's trying, alright? And and then and then we look at the other side, and we go, good people. Who's good people? Oprah, she's good people. Right? Or other people that we think are good people and we go, They're they're good, and the others, they're bad. And that's how we see the scale. In fact, you even pull up like USA Today, I I was doing that this morning, and and I'm sitting there looking through it and going, from my own human perspective, uh, good people and bad people, right? You know, I I just kind of look through and go, oh, there's the the president of Syria, bad people, right? Here's here's this gal in China that uh, killed this English uh, businessman, bad people. And I look at other things, oh, here's something about Warren Buffett and his generosity, good people. And so I can just do that right now on my phone. I can just sit there all day long and scroll through, you know, good people, bad people. But see, that's not probably the way we should look at it. Because strangely, this is not how God really looks at it. God doesn't look and say, hey, good people and bad people. All right, judgment assessed. See, how God looks at it, and that's always the key. We look with our eyes, but how God looks at things is sinful people or sinless people not good and bad sinful or sinless and when we start looking at it from that perspective what we know really quickly all of us deep down inside in our heart we know i'm not in the sinless category i know me personally matt boswell i know that i have sin in fact i realize i have a lot of sin I'm good at sin. I kick butt at sin. I'm awesome at it. We really all are awesome at it. In fact, if anything, I've used this analogy before, uh, but I'm going to use it again because I think it's helpful to us. But all of us in life, we have a backpack. And this one's awesome because it's prickly. Um, This is the coolest backpack. My son, this is his backpack. And uh, every time he wears it, he reminds me of a character from Mario World. I love it. So, um... But this is our backpack. We all have prickly backpacks. We're all given a backpack at birth, and the backpack is designed to carry certain things. And I find that what often my backpack carries is sin. I do a lot of sinful type things. For example, I lie. All right? So I got this rock right here. It symbolizes how I lie. Now I love to think I'm a pretty honest person. And I think eh. On a sliding scale, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly honest, I'm pretty honest, I'm pretty good. But there are those times, right, where I'm not always honest because my kids will say something to me like, uh, Hey, Dad, do you have, like, ten bucks in your in your wallet? No, I do not, son. Right? Even though I know i got ten bucks in my wallet. But again, I don't want to give ten bucks to my son. I love my son, but he's just going to go blow it on something stupid. So I lie to him. If you've got little ones over there, All I have to say is things like Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, lies. All right, so you're like, oh, he said it out loud in public. Well, they're over there. All right, so so we do. We all have these problems where we sometimes we lie. And so we take that little thing and we put it in our backpack, right? Just puts a little weight in that backpack. Maybe it's not lying, maybe it's something else. Maybe we struggle with stealing. And you go, wait, no, I don't I don't steal. Well, you know what? We all at times have stolen something. We steal time. We steal somebody's reputation. Uh we have stolen items when we were kids. Maybe we stole items as adults. Maybe we cheated on our taxes. So what happens is that little thing is a sin and it goes in the pack. So it's just a little bit more weight and I have other things as well. It's not just lying and stealing, but maybe it's coveting. where I go, man, I see what they have and I wish I had that and I'm discontent because I don't. And man, I, you know, I just, oh, it frustrates me in life. And that's just another thing. And it goes in the pack. There's other things too, like Hate. You say, I don't hate. My mom taught me to never say I hate. Instead, I say I dislike with extremity. That's cute. All right. So we have moments where there's somebody in our life that makes us mad and we dislike them with extreme prejudice. There. More weight in the pack. See, what is true of all of us is we're always gathering these little, little sin issues. And they're always going in the pack no matter what are always going into where we are all, all of us people who have sin. In fact, in Romans chapter three, it kind of impacts this. You had a little flyer that you received coming in today with all the songs on it. On the back is this passage out of Romans that we're looking at. And, and Paul talks about this where he says, There is none who are righteous, no, not one. He says, there is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He says, that's just all of us. It's just a part of the human condition. We can all be a part of this great cloud of reality that we struggle with sin. Now, the temptation with this is to say, okay, well, maybe I have sin, but is there a way for me to then do good things, and the good things will remove the bad things out of my, my pack, right? So uh, maybe if I do good works and good deeds, and I'm really, really kind to people, and I'm humanitarian and all of that, can I start to pull some stuff out? Well, Well, Paul would say, no, it doesn't work that way, because he says in verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, we we sometimes start thinking in terms of, well, if I'm good, then God will be pleased with me. Or if I'm good, God will not hold some of this stuff against me that's been accrued in my pack. Right? So it's a little bit like, all right, so I was checking out Vinny's wife and she's smoking smoking hot, right? So I get it, like, that's a sin, I got it, it's wrong. But then, Mrs. Tadouski had all these groceries, and I carried them, and so that comes right back out, right? It's an even. I mean, that's, and all sin's apparently from the East Coast. So, um, right, so we go, is, is that how I can do it? So, you know, sure, I've had a few things go in, but can I do good things, and I start pulling stuff out, because I'm good, does God kind of do accounting like that? in and out, and in and out, and then hopefully in the end, someday I'll die, and I'll hand them my backpack, and I'll say, man, I really hope I had one extra good than bad, right? That's good accounting right before God. Well, no, that's not God's accounting system, because again, as Paul says, it's not about keeping the law. It's not about being a good person and not being a bad person. It's about being a sinless person. And we are sinful people. See, everything that goes into the bag just stays in the bag. We, we can't, in and of ourselves, get anything out of the bag. Everything that goes into the pack, all the offenses that we do, they just stay in there forever. That's just the way God's accounting works because being good does not pull it out. But here, here's where I have to expand something. And this is where it might even get a little bit more awkward for all of us. Uh, This was the hardest thing I wrestled with this week. All right. When we kind of do this, there's another part of the accounting that I think we overlook. Here's what we start to think. We start to think in terms of what are the lesser sins? What are the greater sins? And you start thinking about what are some of the greater sins? And you're going to say, um, murder. It's one of the greater sins or, uh, maybe it's infidelity. If you're a member of Greenpeace, it's using any petroleum product, right? So, whatever it is, there's these big hallmark things. Big, big sins, right? Not just even this size. We're talking big. The big ones that we worry about. Here's what's interesting to God. The big ones, the monster sins, are not the ones we typically associate with. For example... What is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment in the whole Bible. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. To violate the first and greatest commandment is the first and greatest sin. That is the first and greatest. So the really weighty, weighty sins to go in my pack aren't things like when I lie or when I'm dishonest or when I steal. I mean, those are important things. Those are big. They go in the pack. But the real serious ones are right here. Like, for example, when God says, I want you to love me with all of your heart. All of your heart. It means, man, more than your spouse, more than your kids, more than your job, more than your country, more than your daily pleasures. Love me above all else. And I look at my life and I go, you know what? Frankly, I like that idea. I don't do that thing. And that goes in my pack. I, I just, I don't love God with all of my heart. I'm telling you as a pastor, I'm telling you as a standing Christian, I know if I'm honest and I tally up the realities of my life, I don't love God like I should. I'm a sinful man for that. I read the Bible and sometimes you're ready boring right other books can be more entertaining movies are better than books we can't wait for the bible to be on movie because it'd be cooler right so when we're honest we go man i don't necessarily love the lord god with all of my heart or with all of my soul it's like in life what's more exciting is going to church more exciting or is going to the game more exciting is going on vacation the thing that we're excited for and we, we lose sleep about? Uh, you know, Or is it getting together with God's people? No, we're, we're more excited about vacation. We're more excited about a new car we're getting next month than we are about what God would have us do. And so again, these are the really big sins that go in my pack. These are the weighty things. I mean, just in your own life, think about All the things that you know God would want you to be excited about that you're just not excited about. Think about all the things in the last six months that have gotten you most passionate, most enthusiastic. Now, how many of those were God moments and God things? See, when we talk about sinning against God, what we're first and foremost talking about is basically saying God... You're just not that entertaining. You're, you're, you're not the one that gets my enthusiasm the most. You're fine. You're good. You're healthy. You're like broccoli. I Oh, you're healthy for me. And I don't want to go to hell, so I'll make sure to give you just enough attention that I confess that I go to church, but I can't say that I'm excited about it. All of that is stuff that goes in the pack. And it doesn't even matter if you're not a Christian; you are a Christian. This is our struggle, and so over the course of time, all of this gets really heavy. This is the weight of sin, right? And, and this is just a handful of things I talked about. But you could you could go on and on. You could start to evaluate the last twenty years of life, and that pack gets really heavy, real foreboding, filled, full. Of our offenses. And the biggest offenses are the ones where we take away from God his glory. Right? In fact, that's what Paul says. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, the glory of God is the big idea. And again, I'm just being real candid in my own life. I wish I cared about the glory of God as much as I seem to care about other daily affairs. I mean, I do intellectually, I do theologically, I do on paper. It makes perfect sense. I get up on Sunday and I preach about how important it is. But really, when I start to analyze, I I, I fall really short of the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. Then the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Get out of here. You know, I mean, it's not even. It's not even happening. I'll love my neighbor like... Second cousin, half removed, that I didn't really like that much, but I met him once at a barbecue and he was fine. I mean, it's like, you know, like that. Unless they're a really great neighbor and then I'm going to really, really like them, especially if they let me use their stuff. It's awesome, right? So, first and second commandment are the first and second sin. And so, again, I bring it back when people say, but wait, I'm a pretty good person. When I die someday and I'm standing before God in heaven and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? We're going to say, because I was a pretty good person. He's going to say, but man, I didn't even judge it that way. And then he's going to go to the next step and he's going to say, how much did you love me, though? I was really good, though. Yeah, but how much did you glorify me? But I was a really great person. Yeah, I got that. But how much was I the priority in your life? Yeah, you weren't. I nominalized you, or I appreciated you, or I kind of believed in you. And he's going to say, that's the issue. That's the sin problem that we face. So I, I, I make much of this so that we understand that what's at stake, what God really desires of us, is not... Good people. I mean, he likes good people. Good people are nice. We should be good people. But that has nothing to do with how he's weighing the whole heaven thing. What he's weighing is sinful or sinless, not good and bad. What he's weighing is whether we're good in a God way, not just good in a human way. Because good in a human way is not hard to do. I mean, a lot of people are good in human ways, but. God is, again, looking at something different and seeking something more. I think another thing that we have to wrestle with is not just this part of the the story, but then we also have to kind of think about the very nature of who God is, right? I mean, again, what's our topic today? It's the cross. There's going to be something about the cross that is really, really huge. So as much as the issue is, man, are we sinless or sinful, The issue is, how do we see God? Is God just a big, sappy teddy bear in the sky? Or is God really passionate about His glory, too? When we look at the Bible, we see that God is very passionate about who He is. And while the Bible says God is love, that doesn't mean by default that God is only loving. And sometimes that's almost the way we want to see God, right? God is love equals God is only loving. And yet that wouldn't be very fair. Because there's a whole spectrum of how God is described in the Bible. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, it says, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression, and sin. I mean, all this really great stuff, man. That's the God is love stuff. We love the God is love stuff. And it says, but, who will also by no means clear the guilty. But by no means will also clear the guilty. See, God is both love and loving, But God is also holy and righteous and loves what is truly good by his definition. And in that definition, we're not there. We're just not fundamentally there, right? We have that problem. We have that sin issue. We have that that thing that says, you know what? Um, My my biggest issues are you're just not that exciting. I get way more passionate about a hundred other things more than than You. And he knows it. And so he says, man, I am loving, but I am also just. And you wouldn't even appreciate me if I didn't execute justness. So I need to be just as it relates to you. In other words, that foreboding thing that God says, sin is something that offends me. Sin is something that must be addressed. At the same time, and this is where the bad news becomes good news. While we really didn't want God, not on his terms at least, right? Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we didn't necessarily want that, and we still even struggle with it as Christians, uh, the great news is while we didn't want God, God wanted us. He wanted us profoundly and brilliantly. And so he gives the solution in verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. It says, but now, right? So he's been outlining this saying, man, there's none righteous. No, not one. Why? Because we all fall short of the glory of God. Glorifying God is not as important to us as doing our thing. And it says, while that was our state, that was our condition. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Yay! we don't have to do the law to get saved because we're bad at it anyway says, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to the solution, really, is what he's saying. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Man, that's the but now, right? The but now is, man, God is doing something through Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Christ. Whom God put forward as a propitiation from His or by His blood to be received by faith. In other words, the solution was the cross. The cross—that's the solution. That's the God being so desperate for us when we weren't desperate for God. He says, I'll come up with the craziest plan ever. It'll be the cross. It is outlandish. It is foolish. There'll be some sitting here now. that will think about this whole thing and they go, that is just ridiculous. And Paul says, that's exactly what some people are going to think. That God comes up with such a kind of base and hard solution. Through the cross of Christ. But it's the solution. And if you break down that passage, if you're looking at it there in your notes, there's certain words that really jump out. The first word says, we've been justified. Justified. This word justified literally means that God looks at you, looks at your backpack, looks at your life, says, I know what's in here. I know it's in here, but what I'm about to do, I'm going to take that and say, not guilty. I don't hold the pack against you, right? That's what's going to have all the weight of this. I mean, this is, man, there's so much weight on our back that is held against me. He says, but I'm going to do something where I say, I'm not paying attention to that. I'm going to just say, you're just, you're good with me. You're acquitted. That's what that word means, to justify that God's just going to do that. Have you been able to ever do that in your life with somebody that truly violated you, truly hurt you, where you could 100% completely say, I don't hold anything against you. Matter of fact, I've forgotten. See, that's the length to which God is willing to go with this thing called the cross. He does this first, it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption. Somebody should name a church like that. That'd be awesome. What, what does this mean? All right, well, you got Ryan's guitar up here, and let's say I decided that I was going to uh, pawn Ryan's guitar. Ryan would love that. All right, so. I decide I'm going to go to the dudes from Pawn Stars and I'm going to Rick and I bring in the guitar and he says, that's a nice guitar. And I said, yeah, I don't even know what it's worth. It's my buddy's, but I lifted it. It's great. Clearly I have sin. And so I go, I, I want to do some of this. And he goes, great. Do you want to sell it? or Do you want to pawn it? And everybody on that show wants to sell it. I just want to pawn it. Right? So I said, I want to pawn. He says, great, and we agree on a price that it's going to be pawned for. And then he gives me the money I need, and he gives me a ticket. And I go and I do whatever I want, but at some point, if I want to get the guitar back, I have to come with a ticket and a little bit more money. And if I do that, what I get to do is redeem the guitar back. When you hawk something, when you pawn something, when you come back with the ticket and a little bit more cash, you get to redeem so when it says that we have redemption in Christ, there is this thing which Jesus says, you know what, I'm coming with the ticket and I'm coming with even more than they're worth and I'm going to redeem them. Because I want them that bad. That's what I want to do. And so, again, put it in context. We didn't want to glorify God. We struggle most with delighting in God above all else. This is always going to be our biggest struggle. We can be obedient, we can be moral, we can be good, but to be most excited about God, more than our kids or our spouse or our heroes, that's hard for us. So that's the big offense. And yet our God says, well, I want to say I don't hold that against you. And I want to redeem you, even though you don't see my value as much as I see your value." And I will use my value to redeem you. Right? This is another way that Paul says this transaction takes place. It also says here, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now that's a big word. Like people are like, ah, oh, man, you're doing theology words. Why are you doing theology words? I didn't write it, I just say it. Alright? But I'm going to model it really quick. And so what I need is I need my son. And I need my daughter, Emma. So why don't you two come up here right now? All about basically exploiting my children. All right, so. So, Emma, let's put you right here. Grayson, let's put you right here. And I don't know how far back you'll be able to see this. But if you know my kids, it'll be real. It'll be familiar. Emma, you're sin. Grayson, you're righteous. All right, so. Right? So you got the scene, and uh, Grayson, you actually get the role of Jesus, right? So we're looking at this text here, whom God put forward as a propitiation for our sins. The question is, well, what does propitiation mean, right? Well, here's the basic scene, right? So Grayson is the role of Jesus, Emma is the role of the rest of us, and then there's God, and God says, I know exactly how Emma feels about my glory. She's not as excited about me as a hundred other things. And she does little things that all fill up in the backpack all the time. She, uh, she lies, she cheats, she steals. Emma, your daddy loves you still, but you're just, you're so sinful. <laughs> all right, so, all right, so she does all those things. And so finally, one day, God says, all right, uh, you, you, there, there's, there, there's judgment coming. Because I'm still just, I'm loving, but I'm just. And so God, he's bringing this judgment to Emma. But just before it gets to Emma, there's propitiation, which means it is diverted. Away from Emma. God's judgment suddenly diverts. That's the idea of propitiation. Something makes it go another direction. And what the Bible says is Jesus, who knew no sin, perfectly righteous, it says he became sin. Right? So it's coming at her, and everything she's ever done, all the stuff in the pack, it's coming, it's coming, and then Jesus says, I'll take it. I want to divert it on to me. And what's going on at the cross is all of God's justice and judgment and punishment that we amass over our lives. It's all coming on Jesus. And Jesus is taking the full brunt of everything, especially the things where we say, Jesus, we just don't think you're that cool. We're just not that excited about you. I know you gave us 66 books of the Bible, but boy, number sucks, man. That is a long, boring book. We don't get excited about some of the things you want us to do. You want us to sacrifice. You want us to submit ourselves to hardship for you. We don't like that. And he says, that's all right, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take all the things you don't dig about me. And so he suffers for Sin. But then it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. And then he suffered for that so that then Emma here could become the righteousness of God in Christ, it says. And so not only does he take all of the judgment, but then after doing that, he takes all of his righteousness and gives it to her. If I was to quiz you right now and say, who here is as righteous as Christ? Let me do you a favor. Everybody raise your hand. Because you are as righteous as Christ. Because of the cross. Now, does that mean you are sinless? No. Because a lot of this is how God now sees you. God sees you in such a way he says, I do not reckon that to your account. I sent my son to. To redeem you. I sent my son to take the judgment for you. So that from that he could give you his righteousness. See, that is the nature of the cross. Here, I can go ahead and take these. Thanks you guys, you can go ahead and sit down. And so when we think about our backpack still. All we do is. is we just acknowledge it's there. It's there. And again, the low offenses are those lie, manipulate, gossip, slander. Those are serious things, those are big things, but those are lesser things in comparison to the fact that God himself was willing to suffer for our lack of love for him. I mean, again, imagine giving yourself for somebody who just, they didn't care that much about you. He said, that's what I'm willing to do. That's what I desire to do and so in a strange sort of way God does this to show himself as righteous in fact Paul rounds it out that way in Romans chapter 3 he says this was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in in Jesus. What this means, basically, is God says, you know what? I needed to both punish sin, and I wanted to be punished by myself for your sins, so that I could bring you to me. So that I could totally bring you to me. I mean, that's the big idea. That God says, I am holy. Sin needs to be addressed, and I love you, and I will suffer myself so that you can be with me. I will pour out my punishment on myself. To settle the account. To say the pact doesn't count against you anymore. And still, even as a Christian, like I was saying, I still struggle with loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know what? Even that is dealt with in the cross. My poor performance as a Christian is forgiven because of Christ on the cross. My lack of priority at times is forgiven because of Christ on the cross. These are the things that he does. These are the things that he forgives. This is the nature of what we hold dear. And so from that, it brings us to a decision. It brings us to the call that all of us have to make. I mean, if you look back at the passage, it says it's by his grace as a gift to be received, it says, by faith. See, God says, I'm not asking for anything but the pack. He he doesn't ask for anything else from you except that you say, I've I've sinned. And you offer me forgiveness by your grace and you take all of what I deserve so I can have all of your righteousness given to me. That's the exchange. He says, that's grace given to you as a gift. But there needs to be faith. And so, right now, what I want all of us to do is, I want us just to bow our heads right now, where we're at, just try to close out the environment around us, because I I, I want to pose a, a question to all of us. I mean, I know the vast majority of people here, you know, you you, you follow Jesus, you know Jesus, you say I'm a Christian, I've I've embraced this exchange, right? And that's it's awesome. I love that, but. But to us as that crowd that knows Jesus, the question I pose to all of us is, are we, are we living in the full capacity of what this has done? In other words, it's very easy to just still stay excited about everything else, and Jesus gets like 5th, 6th, 10th, or 12th on the list. It's very easy to say, you know what, if nothing else is going on, I'll be at church. If nothing else is going on, I'll read my Bible. If nothing else is happening, I'll stop to pray. Or only if it's really bad, that's when I pray. And is Jesus saying, no, I've done this to offer you, man, enjoying me is the priority. Because the cross does that as well. It gives us the capacity to enjoy God above all else. So are we enjoying what the cross established for us as Christians? Maybe you're going, I I just don't. Maybe it's, today is the day where you go, I, I want to, Kind of recommit myself to the reality that I get distracted by a lot of other things, and God wants something more—more more of my life, more of my walk, more of my focus, more of my sense of ambition. And so, right where you're at, you can say, "Jesus, just I, I need to—I need to just have you be more center. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't necessarily—and I thank you that you forgive even that." There's others probably here this morning where you go, man, I don't, I don't know Jesus at all. I'm just checking out your church because it's in the park and somebody told me about it. And, and, man, we're glad to have you. And, man, in some ways, you know, this is one of the most awkward messages and the most perfect message for you to hear. Because, again, it's the one thing that changes everything, the cross. And for you, it's a matter of saying, you know what? I need to submit my life to this Jesus. I mean, I know he wants to take my pack. I just need to say, Jesus, here's my pack. I have sinned against you, and you died for me so that I would be seen as as righteous as you in your Father's sight. If you want to take that step to embrace Christ, it's real simple. It is a prayer away for you. Right where you're at, you just simply can say, Jesus, man, I, I give it to you. I have sinned against you, and I give it to you. Completely, totally, and wholly. Forgive me, I know you've died for me to make me right with you and your Father. And you know what, you make that your prayer with your words, he hears you, and you're his. You're his. And you may sense the Holy Spirit right now saying, that's what I'm supposed to do. If you did that, if you either said, man, I want to recommit, or you said, uh, I, I need Jesus for the first time. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to stay up here for the first five minutes after the the service ends we're gonna be doing baptisms in a minute but or just a little bit here but i'm gonna stay up here i'm gonna have scott thompson uh maybe a couple of the elders come up here just in case you want to talk to us we'll have the name tags on and you can just say hey man i prayed that prayer or i want to see my life be different or i have questions we'd love to hear from you to hear what god is doing in your heart so jesus we look to you You are the author and finisher of our faith It says you are the one that, for the joy set before you, endured the cross, despised its shame. And you know what? From that, we do not stand before you with shame. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for that love. Thank you for your work in your awesome name. Amen.